Do you think you see things like God sees them? When you consider things that you say, well, the Lord must be in it, is it, is it really seeing it with spiritual eyes? Do you think that when you even look maybe at this church, you say, I see something beautiful because I see hearts of people loving and treasuring the Lord. There are different ways that we can look at a lot of things. And if we're not like really honest with ourselves and, and really remind ourselves, we, we could really get ourselves in trouble because a lot of times we just see with natural eyes. We just can't see things spiritually or, or let's not say we can't, but we have a tendency not to see things with spiritual eyes. In this narrative before us, we have David being anointed as king, but only God would choose him. No one else would do so. You think about even in the history of Israel where the Lord said to them, I did not choose you. Because you were so great. If I were choosing great nations to choose for myself, you would not have been chosen. It's um, interesting even in the New Testament where he speaks to the church and their calling. He said, not many of you are noble or great or wise God has always done what would seem by a natural man to be foolish. And I think it's important that we, um, as people, begin to say to ourselves, like, our natural tendency is not to necessarily see things with the wisdom of God, but rather by the wisdom of man. And so if you would just pray with me, um, uh, we pray this morning that God would open our hearts to see more clearly not just this situation, but all of life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you have provided us in your word. We ask that you would let us see more clearly and savor more, more um, seriously the things that you are doing. And, and we ask that you would help us not be blinded by... Um, a world's vision of life, but rather to have a biblical view of what is uh, beautiful in your sight and what should be treasured. And um, we just thank you for your grace and mercy and how you've um, shown us so much of that over this, the last years um, here at Christ Community Church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now remember, we have uh, God had given the people what they wanted. They wanted a king. They wanted a king like the nations. God handed them a king like the nations. Uh, he chose that for them. He gave them, basically, they said, this is in my heart. So he went out and picked for them what exactly what they wanted. And they received it with joy. And then uh, they also received the trouble that came with it. And what we see with Saul is that he is very much like them. They went and looked in the mirror, 
And they said, that's what we want. And that's what they received. And he was partially obedient. And they were partially obedient. And it seemed like a great coming together. Well, ultimately, we find out what happens. He disobeys the Lord. One time he just complete, outright rejects the word of the Lord. Another time he partially obeys the Lord. And the first time... The Lord says, you will not have a king after you and your family. That is, there will be no dynasty. The second time, the Lord says, I've rejected you, Saul, as king. And so this chapter is about God choosing a king, a man after his own heart. And this king will not only be a blessing to the nation, uh, but he will be a blessing to Saul. And so we're going to kind of see all that unfold today and hopefully... As we look at it, um, you will gather many um, truths that you can uh, see at work in your life and see at work in how God works with us and his people. So first part here, we're going to see David is anointed. Look at verse 1, just setting all of that up. Samuel is still mourning. He's still uh, depressed at the situation. Uh, Israel had just kind of moved into this, the monarchy kind of just been formed. You're right out of the gate thinking like, okay, even though, you know, they went about it the wrong way, it's good to have some rule and some guidance maybe for the people of God. They have rejected God, the invisible God. Now they have this visible king uh, who should be led by God, but he doesn't do right. And so what we see is Samuel's disturbed and maybe he's disturbed on a number of levels, like he just mourns the situation that the nation finds itself in. Maybe he's mourning because he thinks like, Saul, why would you have just ruined everything by these these foolish decisions, you know? Uh, Maybe he's mourning over the fact that like, um, uh, he thinks that everything's about to kind of, it's teetering on the edge. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why. Uh, Maybe he's just mourning over just the sin-sick kind of, situation in general I mean there's a lot of things uh, that he could be mourning over and maybe he's kind of wondering like what is going to happen next and so uh, just kind of as a a side note real quick just to remind you uh, in first Samuel 8 verse 5 the people said as I mentioned earlier appoint us a king like the nations in 8 6 and 7 Samuel's really sad about that situation. And God says, they've rejected me, not you. Give them what they want. In 1 Samuel 13, 14, uh, after Saul sins against the Lord, the, the scripture says, the Lord said, I've sought a man after uh, uh, my own heart. It's kind of the picture. And you've been you know, rejected. 1 Samuel 15, 26 For you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And so all of this has taken place, and Samuel knows, okay, we're kind of like, this is almost like we're going to have to start over at some level, and he's been kind of in this state of sorrow. And the Lord says, get up. I mean, it's time to move on. I have a plan. It's working out. The reality is, is what we know is, that God's plan all along is, it, it was for David to be king. This is not some kind of like God's surprise, God's not in control, God doesn't know what's taking place in the world. 
It's not that kind of picture. God is orchestrating the events perfectly. We see that over and over and over through Scripture. And so, he says to Samuel, you may not be able to see all that's going on, but you fill your horn with oil and go. He says, I have provided for myself a king among this man Jesse's son. So he just tells him, get up, move forward. Now, if you've been paying attention to 1 Samuel, again, I said, God's working in all of these things. If you've been paying attention in 1 Samuel, you realize there's kind of this recurring thing of like Judah is kind of mentioned and how many people in, in his tribe that are going to go into battle. It's like kind of like a rumbling of that. Uh, if you even go back further in Judges, there was this question of like, who will be the first to go into the land? And guess who's mentioned? Judah. If you go back to Genesis 38, there's a place there where it says of Judah, uh, not 38, as you go to 49, it'll speak of the scepter being in the hand of Judah. There's all this along the way has been kind of a sign that, that you're kind of seeing glimpses of that God's going to do something with the tribe of Judah. And Jesse in Bethlehem, it's Judah. It's the tribe of Judah. That's where that is. Now, Bethlehem's not the place you would choose. Uh, you would think we would be thinking uh, something greater than Bethlehem. Bethlehem is small, just like in Jesus' time. It's a, it's a, very, it's a small place. Even today, uh, it is a small uh, little town. And so God says, I've chosen one from Bethlehem. Go and get him. Now, in verse 2, Samuel says, how am I going to go? If Saul hears it, he's going to kill me. And that, that's just like a reminder to you that Saul, although God has said to him, I have stripped away the future of the monarchy and you are no longer king, he's still acting like king. He's still holding on to this thing that God had done with him. And so, so much so that Samuel thinks that Saul's going to come and kill him if he goes and does what he is about to do. So... How does God remedy the situation? He says, look, go make a sacrifice, call everybody together, and that is what he does. And so verse 4 and 5, Samuel did what the Lord commanded. That's what we see over and over. He doesn't let fear, now listen, he does not let the fear of man stop him from doing what he is supposed to do. And I just say that to say it is the exact opposite of what you see in Saul. His whole life is, is built upon this kind of the fear of the people. Samuel is now walking in faith, trusting God, doing as the Lord commanded him. When Samuel shows up, everybody welcomes him and like hugs him and it's like, Samuel's here. No. What do they do? The elders come up there like trembling because... He's the prophet of the Lord. And what you see in the Bible is like, I mean, most of the time when prophets speak, they're very forthtelling. And it is, um, it's a message from the Lord. And it's generally like uh, to wake you up. You know, I mean, it's a call to wake up. It, it's a sobering thing. And so potentially they're just thinking like, what have we done? Or they're saying, we know we've done stuff. Now what's he coming to address? 
Or it could be one of those things where they thought, look, we know that Samuel and Saul, like in the last chapter we learned, they've, they've parted ways and like whatever is going on here, like we don't want trouble in Bethlehem. We're small, we're little, like just, you know, whatever it was that made them uh, afraid, Samuel answers them and said, like, look, I've come peaceably. I'm not coming to stir up any kind of strife among you or bring trouble upon you. And so he says, just consecrate yourself. That is, go through whatever ritual kind of washings that would be uh, required of them and prepare yourself for sacrifice. You are going to get to come and worship uh, with me. And so we move forward. Um, but I, I just, before we do, let's just say one other thing. If you thought you were meeting a prophet one who spoke to you on behalf of God, how would your life change? Just something to consider. Is there a sobering kind of uh, uh, a sobriety when it comes to like standing before God's word? That would be a, probably a better question for you. Do you sit there and say, okay, God is sp speaking. His word is coming forth. Do I, do I stop and listen? Does it bring me to attention? Verse 6 uh, through 10. When you're kind of, you understand that, that not only is he going to gather the elders, but he's also gathering Jesse's sons. Because this is not just about worship, but it is also about the anointing of a king. Samuel, we see him, even though he's a holy man of God, and I mean he's walked with the Lord and been faithful to the Lord, we see him kind of thinking like the people. Samuel struggles with just being able to like look with his physical eyes and say, oh, this is what would be best. Y'all ever do that? Like in your personal life, you say, every category when you're thinking through a decision is, is always, like if you're looking back over it, you say, I always make the practical decision. I, I make a decision that seems like wise, very practical. Like I, I just work through all the steps, and like I, I, as I work through those, I'm like, this is the best decision. Like a natural man. Like you would say, almost everybody would agree with this decision. That, that's, that's a struggle with us. I mean, even somebody at, like with it that can, you know, you might be very wise uh, just in how to kind of handle situations. And it's a struggle sometimes to like stop and say like, am I looking at this with the right eyes? And so Samuel looks at the situation. He knows that one of Jesse's sons is going to be king or anointed king. Uh, and when he saw the first son, he said, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. Why? Because he's looking at his height. What's interesting is that's the same thing they did with Saul. He was like a head taller than everybody. You're like, surely, and especially in those days where it's like by brute force, like you could win a battle. Like it was like very important to be big and strong, you know, in that time period and so he's saying like surely this is it like look at him that's now that's a king you know 
It's like a John Wayne kind of thing. He walks, that's a cowboy, you know? Like, I know he's a cowboy, you know? And uh, because he just feels like that. And so it, it's, it's a struggle for us. When we're looking at situations kind of like that, we might think like Samuel uh, in that way. And so... The Lord says, I, didn't, I haven't chosen him. Actually, it says, I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And it's step by step, as the Father kind of orders them, which would make sense in the culture, by age. The, you kind of have this idea of like, from the, the tallest, the oldest, the wisest, the most, you know, capable down kind of and so he says i haven't chosen him i haven't chosen him i haven't chosen him because god is not choosing he is not choosing his king in the way that man would choose his king he is choosing his king with spiritual understanding with complete understanding of the man's heart It is so difficult for us not to look at one's physical, mental, uh, or kind of personality and think that surely this would be uh, the leader that God would have us to have. And to think like that some, we don't necessarily think like, does he have a heart after God in a lot of different ways? Like, is there a heart for God? Is there a longing for God? Is there a seeking after God? Yeah, I think it would be important when a wife is choosing a husband. What is she looking for? What's she looking for? Is she looking for someone that's strong intellectually so that he can, I don't know, maybe like find a really good career? Is she looking for someone who's strong because she wants to feel like he's going to always protect her? She looking for someone who is uh, has this winsome personality that like is always going to make conversation great like at a dinner table like everybody's going to be listening to him what do you look what are you looking for and i think there's a real picture here of saying like a man after god's own heart a man deeply committed to the things of the lord one who delights in the word of god places himself under God's rule. I, I, I might even ask, like, what, what are you telling your kids? This is what you need to do. Look for someone that would be, like, real fitting among the nations. Like, make sure you find someone that really looks like they will be everything that the world has to offer or give you everything the world has to offer. Samuel struggles like we struggle, and he doesn't need his own wisdom, but the Lord's wisdom. Verses 11 through 13, then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? Because he goes through all of them, and the Lord did not choose any of them. They may have all... Uh, you know, thought, well, good night, what's going on here? And Jesse even probably thinks, are you, are you kidding? And he says, my youngest son, this little boy that we've kind of placed out there to like shepherd the sheep, we didn't even send for him. 
Because his dad didn't look at things the way that the Lord was looking at things. You know, when you read the Psalms and you see uh, David like reflecting on the law of God, like delighting in that, he spent time meditating on that. Uh, There's just so many things about him where you see God shaping him. And he is out there uh, taking care of the sheep. And, And a shepherd... He has uh, he understands how to lead and guide these sheep who are much like subjects in a kingdom. And they're all kind of running and doing their own thing and they're not always paying attention and they're really just difficult sometimes to guide and direct. And God has been like preparing this man to shepherd as he would shepherd. I, I think there's something of that when you see that in Psalm 23 and, of course, other places. So Samuel says, bring him in. He comes in. Uh, it says he was ruddy and be- had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Again, it's he, but he's still, it's just like he's got, he's chi- he, in a sense, you say, he's a very young man, very young. You wouldn't even likely, his father thought, like, he's not even a man yet, you know. And he is brought in. And as soon as Samuel anointed him, which we've seen this before, but the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. What's he saying? He may not be ready for the task by our eyes. But this little boy young man, in between, teenager, let's say, with the Spirit of God is prepared and is being prepared to do what the Lord would have him do. This is not like he immediately takes his place. This is just, he is, God has said he is the one and in God's timing he would become the full-fledged king. One author said about this that perhaps at no time did the living God disclose a more flabbergasting choice than in the case of David's greater descendant. The vote was in. The folks at home said, he's just one of us. Others complained. He has too much fun. And still others objected. He's not from the right place. But the clincher for many was, messiahs don't suffer. And what clout did the opinion pack? None. The stone that the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. What should we deduce from that? We should realize Yahweh made his choice and we should relish it. There is a delight we should have over Yahweh's unusual, unguessable ways. It honors him when we revel in his surprises. I think it is just a, it is, it's a wonderful thing to see. Israel needed to learn that lesson over and over and over. And we said in 1 Samuel, it, it, one of the central themes is God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's almost like God loves to bring forth humble situations to like display uh, the wonder of His work. And it's just, it's a really powerful 
thing. So again, as soon as the Spirit came, power came with that. He's empowered for the service. And it reminds me, and I think you need to be reminded of, in Acts 1-8, the disciples were, were, had spent all that time with Jesus, but He didn't say, okay, you've spent all this time with me, I've been training you, y'all go out and be my witnesses. He says, That's, that was important, that training was important, but you wait until the Spirit comes. Because when the Spirit comes, you will be able to do what you cannot do now. And so this man, after God's own heart, is empowered by God. God's been shaping him, but now he's empowered by God for the service that God has him to do. Now, let me ask you this. Is the service that God has him to do, like to parade through the streets, like waving at the people, like the flowers like fall down from the sky and people like yes our king you know when you read about David's life or for that matter almost every leader that you've ever read about you know but even mo most you could say uh, um, with like Christian people where you're watching them God like empowers them, sends them out, and it is not like this life of ease and comfort. And I think some of us may be like, and I struggle with this all the time where I'll think like, okay, if the Lord is in it, if the Lord's guiding it, if the Lord's working in this, when I think about the Lord's blessing being upon someone, I think they're kicked back like sipping sweet tea, enjoying a warm day, and hanging out. And then they go out and maybe catch a limit of fish, clean them, and invite everybody over to eat them. It's like, when we think about God's blessing upon someone, God's anointing upon, you know, the Spirit moving upon them, you think, that means life's going to be really good. Some people look back over their lives and say, well, I knew, knew it was God's will because it was so easy. I mean, that, that's what you think. I know it's God's will. This was the right choice. It was so easy. And I just, just, if you're young here, understand this. The right choice. The right choices in life. You giving your life in service to the Lord, empowered by His Spirit, is not one of those things where you say, oh, it's going to be easy. It's going to often be a grind. You're going to move forward. You're going to look back and think, if you read the Psalms, you look at David and you're like, good night. The guy thought he was going to die like half of his life, it seemed like. He's hiding. He's hated. Like there's so many different things that the Spirit guiding him was guiding him into places that were difficult. The Lord like... and. It, uh, Again, someone else noted, like, as soon as you see the Spirit on Jesus, He's immediately led into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. <laughs> a lot of us would say, man, He must have made a misstep, you know.
when I, I, I just I'm telling you, you will find it over and over and over again. You'll think I, I, and I'm constantly kind of made aware of that. It's just like as you seek and follow the Lord, like there will always be people that will love to come after you. I mean, that's just the nature of the thing. God is driving his people forward, and as he does, and he guides his people and his leaders and all those kind of things, like, it's not, it's not that he's promising you ease and comfort. He's promising to be with you, to guide you, to empower you, and to move you forward. Now, before we get to all the trouble that David's going to face, there's a little moment here of, of David's service, and I, I think it's just important uh, to see like at the very kind of intro of his service and, and again this is not you know where this fits in exactly I don't know that we know chronologically I mean it's not this is first Samuel's not all chronological and so I don't know where it all fits but you'll notice David is going to be a blessing to the one that he's replacing the spirit of the Lord rest on David and left Saul and what was replaced was a harmful spirit. And it tormented him. And someone said, well, you need somebody to play a liar. And I don't know what, I mean, it's like a look, if you look, you can look them up. They're like a small little harp looking kind of thing, but it's really kind of a small, like you could carry it around with you. I'm not even sure it functions in the same way, but it's a little stringed instrument. And, I, and it's just, when, when all this kind of went down and Saul's like in this place of torment because of like his rejection of the Lord and the Lord like really is bringing him under um, the punishment of the Lord. Then someone says, hey, you need somebody to help you out. A man skillful in playing this, the liar. And so they said, I mean, Saul says, hey, that sounds like a good idea. Find me someone that can do it. In verse 18, one of the young men answered, Behold, I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. I mean, what you're seeing is like everything about that statement about him, you're saying he looks like a king. He looks like a king. Saul is like the opposite of that. When we see him in, in many ways, when you see his life unfold, when we see it from spiritual eyes, we say he does not have those character qualities, but we see of David, he is a man like this, and the Lord is with him. That, that's just a powerful statement. He is, he is a man of character. The Lord is with him. And um, he is an example. Now, I just think it's important that, that you just kind of look at that. Because God says, I'm going to choose a man after my own heart. A man that would honor me. A man that is close to me. A man that will walk with me. A man that will follow my direction. And we see that in David. This list shows skills, character, and God's power at work in him. And so, what happens? Saul loves him. Saul embraces him. It's almost like he receives a double choice in a way. God has chosen him, 
And now Saul's like choosing him to be with him. Now you might say, what would be the value of that? I mean, God's orchestrating all of this to get David in the place of becoming king. I mean, and that's something that you and I need to understand. God is not like, uh, this is not like God's like, oh, I'm going to anoint him. And then Saul calls on him and God's like scratching his head. No, it's all orchestrated to do the work that God has for him to do, to prepare him for it, to, to move him up through the ranks, you could say, in Israel, to be exposed to all these things. You see kind of this heart of valor, this, this, this kind of these growing areas, but then it's like God propels him forward. And he is a blessing, and he's a blessing not only um, to the Lord and to others, but he's also a blessing to the one that will later seek to kill him. You know, when you think of Jesus, who is, of course, the eternal Son of God who became man, who came to save us, the King who came to rescue us, the eternal King, He grew up as a man, and the Scripture says that He grew in wisdom and stature with God and man. It's one of those kind of examples of God, like in a way you're kind of reminded of that as Jesus, you see Him moving up and growing forward, you see him in the same way that David was doing. He is following that pattern. Now, verses 19 through 23, um, you're seeing this kind of uh, Saul calls for David to come. His dad sends him out with a, a gift that's kind of fitting of a king asking for a son with service. Uh, he, he ends up sending back to his father and says, I want him to remain in my service. David becomes a, a very integral part. He is his armor bearer here and and really David's going to bring blessing to him as he is tormented when David shows up and plays this music he is going to experience a blessing and so this happened with Saul you know it's interesting at first which Saul didn't know all that was going on this chosen king is not a threat but a means of grace to Saul had Saul known, like paid attention all along the way, he would know that like the chosen king would be a benefit to him. Of course, Saul would eventually reject that. But what you see is, is David is almost therapy to him, to a broken man. God has been merciful to him with this chosen king. Now, as we kind of conclude this today, I just think it's important that we kind of, one, just say to ourselves, like we don't want to see with just earthly eyes. We don't even want to raise our children and, and, and tell them like, hey, let me tell you, let me tell you kids something. Like you want to live a life that you're like, you, you want to make sure that you are, you stand up, you know, head and shoulders above everyone else in this world and that you are so great in this age that people would say, well, surely he should be great. We, we don't want to establish a child just to be like great in men's eyes. Like when you are great in a man's, in men's eyes, in a, in a kind of like the nations would say, oh, how great you are. The world would say how great you are. Uh, you've got to be really, really careful because whenever they're saying, yes, yes, there's something about that that kind of makes you stop and say, hold on just a second. Do you really want to be um, before the Lord, right before Him, setting your heart 
towards Him and, and aligning your life with Him. That's one thing. Another thing I think we see is, and when you're looking at all of this, is that when God says, I'm choosing to use you, like as, as a Christian here today, God has chosen to bring you into His family and, and empowered you by His Spirit. When God does that, like the result is, is that it's not one of those things where you say, oh, it's going to be easy. It's going to be easy. It's going to be a life of just being easy and there's no like guiding you into the wilderness. That's not how the revelation presents it. The revelation presents us as, as living in the wilderness. So as God like is carrying us into the difficult places to serve Him, we need to see that. And we need to say, Lord, I want to walk in your ways. And as you call me in your ways to do your will, I have to trust that you will guide me, protect me, lead me, and that you don't promise me just ease and comfort. And the third thing I think we see here is, of course, the example of Jesus. And I think we see this where people looked at Jesus and they were like, I don't know. I mean, is he that great or like they're putting him kind of down they're not really seeing him as who he is I think we have to say even in our world we have people around us um, there may be some of you that might wonder about Jesus and I would just say to you listen Jesus does not look like he, he does not look like the king the kings you might say of this world Jesus life was one of people saying he couldn't be king. Jesus' life was one of being rejected. Jesus was ultimately crucified and buried. Like, he, he was, I mean, there, eventually the people of God, the supposed people of God were sitting there saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And so Jesus is, is something, when you're looking at him, you understand that he is not what man would choose, but he was the truly the Son of God and the eternal King. And so for you and I, we need to see that to follow Jesus is to embrace him for who he is, truly the man after God's own heart. And you and I need to turn to him and repent and believe and trust in him as the only king, the only hope, the only one that we can truly uh, find hope in so we just hope that you'll do that today if you're here without Christ I ask you turn to him trust in him he is the anointed one the king of the universe he is victorious over all and he reigns even now let's pray father we thank you for your word we ask for wisdom and direction so that we might see and savor what you see what you say is right and good that we might love your Son in all of, with all of our lives, seek to serve Him. In Christ's name, amen.